This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. And good morning, Roger, once again. And good morning, world, as we come your way for our weekly visit to talk about the world's most basic industry, producing food and fiber and uh, energy in the tank and uh, just all sorts of things that come off the farms and ranches of America as well as other countries around the world. Always good to have you with us because we have some interesting people who will be talking to us, and so we thank you for your attention and for being with us. Uh, temperature in the desert in Arizona, where we're doing the program from this morning, thanks to technology. It's 53 degrees, so it has cooled down a little bit in the desert, not enough to bring snow. And uh, they'll be warming up for those of you who are heading for the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, just let you know that it will be warming up again here over the weekend. But the National FFA Convention, the 92nd edition of that convention, winding up today in Indianapolis. And uh, we'll be talking about the four stars of America who were honored last night. Each year at the FFA convention, four FFA members are honored with American Star Awards for outstanding accomplishments in FFA and in agricultural education. In addition to that, sponsors uh, who uh, provide scholarships and activity for FFA members are honored. And I do want to send out congratulations to Lyle Orwig of Charleston Orwig in Wisconsin. He was honored with an honorary FFA degree at the event yesterday. So we do have a lot to talk about, but uh, we're going back to uh, World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, that was held about a month ago now for one final visit with some of the industry people of the year. We'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday morning show. It's 10 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Saturday morning, the day that you move the clock back one hour. You can do it at the official time of 1 a.m. Sunday, or you can do it before you go to bed tonight, just to move it back one hour. Spring forward, fall back, the best way to remember that change and when it happens. World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, held uh, early in October. And every year, they too honor special people in the industry. And we have one more of their stars to introduce to you. Dr. Randy Shaver of the University of Wisconsin was named the Dairy Industry Person of the Year at World Dairy Expo. And talking to him after he received his award, I said, we've seen a lot of changes in the dairy industry, but are those changes still coming? Still coming. Uh, a lot of new, uh, new happenings, uh, automated milking systems, 
brings new uh, feeding approaches. I work in the area of dairy cattle nutrition, so one of the big happenings early on in my career was adoption of total mix rations, where you mix everything together and feed the cows, and that fit right into the new freestall barns and group housing and group feeding. But in the past several years, farmers are looking more at reducing labor inputs and looking at these automated milking systems. And that brings a whole new side to feeding once again. So you deliver a part of a TMR, total mix ration, out in the group. But then when the cow comes in to be milked, she gets offered uh, different supplements or concentrates. And so things just keep advancing and moving forward. And uh, whether it's on the milking side or cow comfort or ventilation or nutrition, when you come to Dairy Expo, there's always new technologies and uh, everything just keeps moving towards the future. Cow comfort has become more advanced over the years, hasn't it? I remember on the dairy farm in western Wisconsin where I grew up, straw, and that was about it. But my, that's changed. Well, it affects so many things. It affects how much the cow can eat, and that affects how much energy she gets, which helps support her condition and allows her to uh, become pregnant, allows her to produce milk. Um, And it affects things like uh, milk quality. Uh, so the ability to have those cows lying down and only getting up when they want to come and eat and get a drink of water and go be milked, it just uh, keeps the cow much, much healthier, much happier, and uh, it's really better for everyone, the farmer, the workers, the cows, and the consumer. What about genetics? Rapid, rapid growth uh, with the uh, genomics and, and understanding uh, what, what genetics is has really allowed a rapid pace of change in the past several years, and that will continue to move forward. And it's not just on milk production, but it's in the area of uh, fat content, protein content, the type of proteins. Uh, it's in the area of feed efficiency. We're just making so many gains on the genetic side that we just continue to put more and more into the research and the outreach looking at nutrition to keep pace, cow comfort to keep pace, all those aspects, really the the framework gets set by the cow and and the cow is really progressing Uh, and so we continue to improve all aspects of dairy production. And then, of course, we have to talk about animal welfare because every time there's an incident, it gets national attention. But overall, in the teaching of dairy industry today, we're very concerned about welfare of the animals. Well, we are, and uh, I have a new colleague at the university whose sole focus is on animal welfare. Uh, We actually are hiring another person that will be more involved in teaching, and so one colleague in extension outreach and research, another in teaching on campus uh, with research, focus solely on the welfare of that animal. And not just cow comfort, which is a big part of it, or how we feed the cow for having the proper nutrition, but more on handling of animals and how the workers relate to animals. There's just so many aspects of that whole area and it's become really a new science, a new discipline, and it'll continue to go forward and improve uh, as we look into the future. Final question. Any idea how many students you have helped learn about the dairy industry and nutrition? 
Well, our undergraduate program would be 80 to 100 students uh, that come through every year. And uh, my appointment is mainly an extension research, but I do get involved in teaching various modules of nutrition to those students over 30 years. And then our graduate program, I've always maintained throughout my 30 years about five graduate students uh, that graduate uh, one or two every two to three years. But more importantly, involved with other faculty members, graduate students, whether they be reproductive physiologists or animal welfare faculty or uh, physiologists, uh, very much involved in those programs. So I could not put a number on it, but uh, all of our faculty are very involved with both undergraduates and graduate student training. Dr. Randy Shaber. Industry Person of the Year, honored at World Dairy Expo. He is involved in teaching, as you just heard, at the University of Wisconsin in the Dairy Science Program. Congratulations to him and the other honorees who were honored early last month at World Dairy Expo in Madison. More to come, so stay with us here on this Saturday morning show. The time is 18 minutes after 5 o'clock, and I've heard from several of you who are saying, what are you doing in Arizona besides enjoying the sunshine? And I don't want to get into a deep medical discussion, but for the past two years, I have been very concerned about mobility because of lower back pain. And it gets intense at times, and so... I do spend time at the Mayo Hospital and the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Yes, Mayo does have a hospital in Arizona. They have one in Fort Lauderdale. And, of course, the headquarters in Rochester, Minnesota. But uh, we're still searching for an answer to that. The challenge I have is I can't move as quickly as I really want to and have to be very much aware of uh, not losing my balance, but I'm feeling fine, and so we'll keep working with the Mayo doctors, and that will answer your questions, I hope, and uh, thank you for your interest and your concern. And uh, when I'm away uh, going to those uh, outpatient visits, uh, Steve Alexander sometimes sits in for me. As a matter of fact, he's going to join us here on the Saturday morning show. Steve? Let's say good morning to Chris Cuddy, who's president of Carbohydrate Solutions for ADM in Decatur. And I gave Chris a call because of a news release that showed that ADM was partnering with LG Chem to make diapers out of corn. But before we get to the diapers, Chris, let's talk a little bit about the many uses of corn. Your news release said there are over 30 that your scientists at ADM had identified. And I can think of a few, like feed for animals and ethanol for vehicles and corn syrup and corn starch. And that's about where I run out. But help me out here, Chris. What are all those products that come out of a kernel of corn? Well, it's a it's a, a fascinating uh, a kernel, really, in a, a plant that produces corn and, and corn starch and oil and fibers and protein. And uh, in our corn processing division, we're just lucky enough to have it as our, our raw material that we bring in. And uh, every day we bring in 2.7 million bushels that we process of corn. And the way that this happens is we, we bring in the kernel and separate out all these particular ingredients and it goes for things as high fructose corn syrup, 
uh, starches that can be in your paper and corrugated boxes, um, regular corn syrup or glucose syrup that's uh, in, you know, your, your candy bars and hard candies, even coffee creamers. Uh, of course, we make ethanol, as you mentioned, and uh, some of it goes into other fermentation products other than ethanol. Uh, other feed ingredients or critical amino acids, the essential amino acids that, that uh, animals use. It goes into products like xanthan gums, which are thickeners and things like salad dressings or sauces that you would get at a McDonald's-type uh, restaurant or any sauce for that matter, ketchups, uh, dipping sauces, etc. Gosh, just a whole host of things. Sorbitol, which is used in toothpaste uh, and mouthwash. Um I mean, the list goes on and on. And that list now includes diapers. ADM and a company out of South Korea, LG Chem, are partnering to extract acrylic acid out of the corn and turn that into the material that absorbs the moisture in diapers. That's kind of an odd one, isn't it, Chris? (laughs) That's a pretty unusual one for sure. We've got a couple ones that we're working on to really find new uses for for corn and what what's cool about the 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 corn kernel really is a a few things number one that the starch in it has uh, a lot of properties that make it a good carbon source a good carbohydrate source that can that a lot of things can be made from and and really unlocking the potential of that starch is what we're all about and you mentioned the smart people at r&d that we have uh, and certainly we try to partner with others that have just as smart of people to come up with ways to unlock the potential of, of the starch. The next step is how we can take this molecule and use it as a renewable resource to make these plastics. And in the case of LG, uh, that partnership is around making acrylic acid, which would go into diapers would be one, one good example as a super absorbent and so today there's super absorbent polymers in diapers that are made from petrochemicals that essentially just absorb water and, and moisture uh, and so being able to mimic that with a renewable is, is what this is all about. Uh, we've also got a joint venture with something similar in the sense of taking starch and modifying it to uh, into a plastic. In this case it's called FDME which will be mixed with PET to form uh, really strong barrier properties in plastic bottles. And you may say, you know, why do you need that? As the consumer wants a lighter bottle, as the consumer wants less plastic in their bottle, so do the companies that produce, you know, the waters and the colas because it's less waste. It's also less weight to carry around in, in a truck. And so by putting this FDME, mixing it in with the PET, it allows you to have a lighter bottle, less plastic, but have the same barrier. And the reason you need a barrier is so for colas so that CO2 doesn't escape. And for other products like beer, you also don't want O2, you don't want oxygen to get in. You can think about how this would be even a, a greater opportunity in countries that are warmer uh, maybe in the you know sub-saharan africa or india or australia where you have a warmer climate maybe even a longer supply chain that um, you know the coal is put on a truck and it's taken out and it's put on the shelf somewhere that it doesn't turn as often and that product will be uh, just as as fresh when the consumer grabs it 
you know, say, I don't know, twice as long as maybe our supply chain would be, so call it two or three weeks or a month, uh, they would still have a fresh cola versus ours, which turns quite often here in the state. So a lot of different uses for it, and we're, we're excited to be partners with, with DuPont as well as LG and finding new solutions for, for the kernel of corn. Chris Cuddy of ADM and Decatur talking about the incredible kernel of corn and all of the many products that are being made out of it. Pretty amazing. Orion? Okay, it indeed is pretty amazing. And one other item about corn that I saw on the Internet a couple of weeks ago, this is what you get from one bushel of corn. You get 38 boxes of cereal. You get 258 six-packs of soda. 33 pounds of sweetener, 28 gallons or two, uh, 28 gallons of uh, ethanol, 2.8 gallons, and 175 pounds of dried distillers grains, all coming from that corn kernel and the bushel of corn. And uh, it's always fascinating the research that keeps finding new uses for products that are produced on farms and ranches. Back with more when we continue on the Saturday morning show. When you think of corn, you have to think of ethanol and an interesting story this week from the Southern Hemisphere. An ethanol production increase that's expected for Brazil, the world's second largest market for the biofuel, not going to be enough to cope with the rising demand and the industry of the country will continue importing fuel from the United States to cover that shortfall. According to analysts from S&P Global Platts, demand for ethanol in Brazil will increase around 2.5% per year in coming years due to a new federal policy in Brazil to boost the use and to the price advantage over gasoline in the local market. So Brazil will need to import from the United States ethanol, and that's a help to the industry, which is currently being challenged here in the United States. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that export from the U.S. that is a little different from a lot of the products that we do export to countries around the world. Saturday morning show here on WGN Radio. And uh, if you think the snow put an end to farmers' markets, no, not the case at all. As a matter of fact, my community of Huntley, Illinois, is going to continue farmers' markets. They'll just move it indoors. And it's going to be at the indoor farmers' market today. That's at the Legion Hall in Huntley, Illinois, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. So get out and purchase some of the products that farmers bring in to those farmers' markets. Speaking of markets, Max will be talking about the market activity, and that's all coming up here at the halfway mark on the Saturday morning show. Thank you again, Roger, for that update on the news coming up. Max Armstrong will be talking markets with Naomi Bloom of Stuart Peterson in Wisconsin. And we'll be naming and talking about the stories of the four stars of the FFA honored at their convention in Indianapolis yesterday. And we'll share the stories of those outstanding FFA members. But right now, welcome to Samuelson Says... I'm Orion, 
And this week, I'm trying to decide what is fact or fiction. A few days ago, I received an email from a listener, and that's not unusual, of course, but this listener asked the question, what is your biggest frustration in covering the agricultural industry? Well, I wouldn't call it frustrating, but I would call it challenging. And this year, I could list several challenges that have consumed a lot of my time. Of course, with the U.S.-China trade discussions that create a new headline every day, and the weather that seems to do the same thing, the focus in Congress that continues to be on investigating instead of legislating, proper labeling in the food industry, particularly in the meat industry, what's real and what's fake. And finally, what affects markets and their price movements? Because after several decades of covering markets on Wall Street, the Board of Trade, and the Mercantile Exchange, I find the greatest challenge I have there is trying to figure out what is fact and what is fiction. One thing I've learned over the years is that markets basically trade on rumors. And we have certainly seen that in the U.S.-China trade talks. Markets are up one day because an agreement looks more positive to traders. Then markets are down the next day because some negative news came into the marketplace. And we generally don't really know where the information originates quote, reliable sources, end quote, most often, and you really don't know what or who to believe. That is the challenge that I find, separating rumor from what is truly happening. And I guess that will never change in the marketplace. When you get the challenge of trade agreements or no trade agreements with China, the European Union, or other market countries around the world, the challenge to find the facts just seems to increase. So be patient with me, please, when I talk markets and reaction to news in the markets as I'm trying to figure out why the markets do what they do, just like most of you who are probably trying to do the same thing. Help me learn, which I try to do every day. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar media group. And we're at uh, 22 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Max Armstrong standing by with his market guest, and we'll check in with Max when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Back in the studio this weekend, Naomi Bloom from Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson, headquartered in Wisconsin. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Well, the harvest goes on and on and on. This is a trying one. You get the feeling that that last 20 to 25% is going to come very hard, very late. Uh, it's going to continue to be a struggle. Absolutely. Producers are already frustrated with the weather concept and with the weather that's coming, the weather that's here now with the snow. Um, they're already tired. They're emotionally wiped out and physically tired. And um, just seeing how they're going to continue to have this harvest drag out in some places, it wouldn't surprise me, unfortunately, if it goes till Christmas or beyond just because of how wet fields are um, and just trying to make sure that we can get the 
product dried down and get into bins properly, it is going to be a long, drawn-out process. Also uh, a struggle is the fact that the market isn't reflecting it enough in the minds of the producers. Oh, I would agree with that. Um, one one thing to, to try to st- take a step back on and be aware of is that, you know, the corn and the soybean market has been in a nice, slow uptrend higher. So in some regards, I think it is. Um, aware of how slow the harvest is. But what we aren't now factoring in is the lower yields that we are consistently hearing from across the country. So much discrepancy on what is or what isn't, where it has been compared to five-year averages. So we're going to probably be stuck for prices for a week or two until we can get some more information from the USDA, next Friday's USDA report, and just some further concrete news on the harvest and the progress. General feeling has been, has it not, that USDA will slide down yield per acre numbers on both the corn and beans? And are you of that opinion as well? That is that is definitely what the market is anticipating will happen. I will uh, just be very, very forward to say, don't expect any big drops. This is going to be baby steps beyond baby steps. And and even when they come to the January report. Because of how slow this harvest is, they're still not going to have the final yield numbers in the final January report. So um, expect that number for yield to come down just only a little bit and don't expect it to be a market mover unless it's down a lot more than what the trade would anticipate. They won't change acreage numbers at all? Are they, are they finished adjusting acreage? Um, I am not sure. I'm, I really am not sure. My thought would be that there could still be tweaking. I know that in this uh, next November report, they are resurveying the North Dakota producers that they have already been talking with. So if there is any reason to adjust anything from those North Dakota producers, that would be on this report. But beyond that, I'm not sure what else they would um, bring into the picture. Weekly crop bulletins, we still watch those. I wonder if they'll continue those past Thanksgiving this year, if we still have a lot of crop That's out of the field. That's a great point. Yeah, because usually they wrap it up. But now they're almost like essential tools to know for sure what's happening, especially with the northern states. Um, I would think that would really be important, especially as we're starting to pick up traction in the soybean market with exports. And, of course, you know, North Dakota being one of the biggest producing states, we need to know what's going on up there. Um, and especially with South Dakota as well. Those are the places that were planted the latest. Uh, the yield numbers are already coming in much lower than year-ago levels, so we do need to know what's happening there. So, yeah, that would be interesting if they do like a special extension on how they report those to us. What did you make of the condition rating improvement of the corn crop this past Monday? In that weekly crop bulletin, they raised, I believe, by 2 percentage points, the good to excellent rating on corn. I'm not sure what to make of it. Um at all, period. So I don't know if it's because they're now that they're they're harvesting out there and they can get the fields opened up, they can maybe see things a little bit better. Um, specifically, I'm, I was a little surprised. I would have thought they would have just kept it unchanged. Some were saying that maybe it was that part of the corn crop uh, that uh, they're they're now to that part of the corn crop that was planted in a, a good window there and uh, has fared the best during the growing season. That would make sense because that is what is getting harvested right now. Um, and more in the uh, speedy methods, right? Problems with demand remain the overriding problems, correct? I mean, for the crop that we have, we should be seeing more of a market reaction, uh, perhaps a higher price, some are saying, but the demand isn't there. How do you feel about that? Uh, Demand is um, starting to improve a little bit on export sales in terms of soybeans and wheat. 
We actually had decent export sales for wheat today with unknown destinations, a buyer. So to me, that says China is uh, most likely the unknown person and that they're getting in the game. So export demand, I think, is going to pick up. Corn and soybeans now are priced at competitive levels or below competitive levels from South America. So hopefully we see that pick up. And this week for corn and ethanol, hey, this was the first time that we had um, corn use and ethanol production over a million barrels a day, and it hasn't been that way for a couple months. So the demand is slower than what it's been within years past. There's no question. But there's little signs of life starting to trickle and, and come into the to the marketplace. So we are gradually seeing some improvement in demand, you think? I think it's there. And I think for the feed demand, for Pete's sake, we've got record hog production. We've got record poultry production right now. Um, you know, lower beef numbers, but overall production is still big. And so we're seeing more demand for feed wheat. So I think you're going to see that reflected on reports. Um, corn is the one that just continues to be in question. What are they going to do with um, the feed demand? What are they going to do with ethanol demand and the export demand on the upcoming reports? That's the one where, you know, coming into this fall, corn had a more of a bullish picture and the beans were more of a bearish picture. Now that's flip-flopped mm-hmm. to where the beans are now the the big leading story, especially with the yield numbers continuing to come in a little bit, a little bit lower than year-ago levels. The balance sheet with over a billion bushel carryout just a year ago, and now we're down to like 450 approximately. So um, that's a friendly story, and South American crop is, um, you know, getting planted now. But There was a little bit of dryness early, but uh, that yeah. hand-wringing was for naught, was it? Not right. because they're, yeah, they're getting underway? Yep, caught up in a sense, but now with Argentina – Here's something else that the producers here need to be watching. You know, global politics, global politics, we can't emphasize that enough, but they have a new president there. And so the policy in Argentina had always been um, let's export tax. Tax the exports. Tax it all. Tax it all. And that's how they were going to make their money. And so the recent president before this one had kind of reduced some of those taxes. So all of a sudden, Argentina was exporting more onto the world. But and now, farmers had higher hopes. You know, they, they felt that he might even pull back even more on the taxes. Yeah. I don't think it ever quite met their expectations. Totally. You're right. And so now with this new president in place, now the fear is, are they going to go back to those bigger exports? Because um, Argentina has got some serious debts that they got to owe up and they got to pay out. So if he does more of the bigger exports um, or export taxes, then then there's thoughts that, you know, the producer, in a sense, would not plant as much the following year or maybe that would shift more demand to the United States. So that is something to be watching, because if that happens, it's sad for them, but that's really good for us. So I'm watching that pretty close. Just a quick look at the livestock sector. Cattle prices, have they risen to about as high as they're going to? Um, we are real close to the um, April highs for um, fat cattle contracts, and seasonally, this is about its peak. So I would really have producers be aware of that. There's a friendly cattle story, period, as we continue with fourth quarter and going into first quarter with production numbers being lower. Um, but there's a very big seasonal tendency for the market to see a pullback. So I would be aware of that because um, technically on charts, we've gone about as high as we can go. The futures are trading at a premium to the cash market. And so I, I think that we'll see the futures market come back down a little bit. So if you have any hedging needs, um, be thinking about your cash contracts and maybe consider buying some puts for the short term. When does the hog market rocket take off? <laughs> The bulls say it's happening any day now. I was looking at export sales this morning, and they were better than last week, but not um, as good as, like, the overall the past month. 
So we are still seeing um, exports happening to China. That's, of course, exciting. But it's the feeling that the other countries are going to buy ahead. And that hasn't happened uh, to a great extent, has it? So, right. So that's the thing. We need to see more exports to Mexico, more to South Korea, more to other places around the world. So it's like everyone is still ultimately just buying what they need with that just-in-time mentality and, and and waiting to see. So, yeah, the potential could be there, but we've been talking that for months, and, and China is definitely buying. But, you know, we've seen from China that they are not afraid to substitute a different product to meet their needs. And so I'm thinking of more poultry. Um, we could see a whole lot of other types of, of food varieties um, that they would have their consumers eat rather than just pork. So, of course, we're all hopeful. Um, but China does their own thing, and I, I think that they'll find other substitutes. Back to the grain market for a moment. Obviously, it's dangerous to compare with any other year. But I remember a couple of years when we got into the final weeks of the year, we actually had uh, somewhat of a Santa Claus rally. Is there any uh, opportunity you think that that might take place this year? I am still very supportive to the grain markets overall. I think prices will continue to be firm. It'll be a slow grind higher, but looking back to 93 and 95, so years where we had the slow planting start and then um, not the best yields overall, um, the the fall prices those years, we rallied all the way to Christmas. One of those years, that was the peak of the market for the following year. And then the other year, it just kept working higher into the following year. So, um Yes, be aware of any pricing opportunities that come, because if we see prices continue to work higher in the coming weeks and months, it is going to be your marketing opportunity for old crop and then thinking ahead for 2020, because there's going to be a lot of producers anxious to be planting again in the spring. And if South America ends up having a decent crop, uh, it kind of takes our thunder out of the uh, you know demand story and, and the supply situation. So be mindful of the marketing opportunities as you're wrapping up harvest, because I think this might be some of your best prices for the year. Naomi Bloom, Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, before we get to the news at uh, the top of the hour, here are the names of the four stars of America honored at the convention in Indianapolis yesterday. First of all, Courtney Cameron did the math. She has spent a third of her life involved in plant disease research. Cameron from the Lowndes FFA chapter in Valdosta, Georgia, initially found a research avenue that would cultivate her interest in plant pathology. She said, it kind of helped me find a purpose. If you would have gone back and told little Courtney back in fifth grade who wanted to be an art teacher that she was going to go into agriculture, she would laugh. That's the star in agri-science, Courtney Cameron from the state of Georgia. Then we turn to uh, South Dakota. And for Andrew Streff, an interest in agriculture is all in the family. He was named the outstanding 2019 star in agricultural placement. And he said, growing up, my brothers and I had this sandbox out back of our house. We'd go outside, supposed to be playing in the sandbox, and then we'd go running off to the shed to hang out with Dad to work on equipment. So the passion has been there from the beginning. And he hails from McCook Central FFA chapter in Salem, South Dakota. 
Andrew Streff, the star in agricultural placement. The uh, national star in, uh, well, let's see, the big one, the one that started it all, Star Farmer. The uh, Most of America's farms are located in Midwestern states like Iowa and Kansas City, but this year California is host to its fair share of farmers as well, including Willis Wolf, member of the Merced El Capitan FFA chapter in California. For the past few years, he's been working on his supervised agricultural experience, raising both goats and the hay forage to feed them. He and his family, uh, not known for goats, but he wanted to learn how to handle new kinds of livestock. So that's our star farmer of America, Willis Wolf from California. And the fourth star that was honored at the convention this year, marketing has always been an important part of any business success, but in the digital age, social media marketing is a must. Knowing this, Blake Kennedy, a member of the Tecumseh FFA chapter in Oklahoma, decided to take over his family's annual pig sale as part of his supervised agricultural experience. Kennedy said he saw untapped growth potential if he could just infuse his pig sale with some agribusiness marketing magic. So that's the star in agribusiness, and he hails from Oklahoma. So congratulations to these outstanding FFA members, the new stars of America for the year 2019. Getting back to the discussion on markets and weather for a moment, uh, my good friend of decades, Paul Wallen, a former Case IH dealer in Belvedere, Illinois, sent me an email this week saying, I, I feel sorry for the farmers that are trying to get crops growing and harvested this year with the rains in the spring and now the rains and the snow in the fall, just making it extremely difficult for farmers to get their crops in. And he said, anybody who thinks the best gamblers are in Las Vegas are wrong. The gamblers are on farms across the country, on farms and ranches, and I couldn't agree more. Well, we're nearly out of time here, and as always, we appreciate your company for joining us Saturday morning. Again, there will be a farmer's market indoors today in my town of Huntley, Illinois. And then the reminder that your clocks go backward one hour. It's daylight saving time change, and that means you fall back an hour to set your alarms so you won't be late for church. Thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering. Thank you for listening. We look forward to these Saturday morning visits every week. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.